Now I want you please to turn with me to Luke chapter 22. Only three verses, three verses, 14, 15, and 16 of Luke 22. Let me set it in its context. Let me set it up so you can see what, when we read it, we'll understand it. Hours before the cross, just mere hours, Jesus was prepared to eat His last Passover with the disciples. And you know the context. You know the story. He told them to go to a certain place and prepare for the Passover. But then he said something of uttermost importance. He said something that is of vital importance. And yet, so many people, when they read the Scripture, they skim over it and they miss it. But it's a great source of blessing. I know it's a great blessing to me. At that meal, our Lord Jesus Christ revealed the eternal plan of how the cross is going to be the final, the complete and the finished work of God's plan of salvation that began in the Garden of Eden. So I'm going to read it here for you, that you follow with me. When the hour came, Jesus and His apostles reclined at the table, and He said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Here it comes, here it comes. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. Now, question. What is Jesus doing here? What is He doing? He wanted His disciples and us. Don't miss this. He wanted His disciples and us to know the deep meaning of the cross. Before the crucifixion takes place, he wanted to understand that beforehand. He wanted his disciples and us to know the deep roots of the cross before he hangs on it as an instrument of torture. He wanted his disciples and us to comprehend the historic roots of the cross. It wasn't just an arbitrary thing. It was a Persian instrument of torture that was kind of improved by the Romans and perfected by the Romans. No, no, the cross was in God's mind before all creation. And He wanted them to know this, and He wanted them to understand that before they get so confused when they see Him on that cross. Jesus wanted the disciples and us to understand that Passover was a mere foreshadowing. It's a mere prefiguring of the cross. I want to give you two reasons just to kind of focus our thoughts. Two reasons as to why Jesus said these words, I have eagerly, or I've been anxious, or I have been longing. Other translations said, I've earnestly desire to have this last Passover with you, this meal with you, before I suffer. Think about this. Think about this. Before I suffer. First of all, that's my first reason. It is because on the cross of Christ, the Passover found its complete fulfillment, found its true completion. It found its true end. 
Passover found its end on the cross. And the second thing I want to share with you is because the cross of Christ, the Passover gave way to communion. Passover gave way to the Lord's table, the Lord's supper, and so many names that people give it. It's the same thing. Now, remember, earlier in the series I explained how it was God Himself. It was God Himself who instituted the shedding of an innocent blood for man's sin when He did this in the Garden of Eden, back in the Garden of Eden, in order to cover and to forgive the sin of Adam and Eve. started in the Garden of Eden. Then it was reaffirmed by God Himself when He Himself walked between the two halves of the animal sacrifice that Abraham offered, and then was reinstated again by God through Moses to redeem God's people from the slavery of Egypt and Pharaoh. Please don't miss what I'm going to tell you. You see, the first Passover delivered the Israelites from being the slaves of Pharaoh to become the servants of Yahweh. The last Passover, the cross, the cross of Christ, made the servants of the living God, the servants of Yahweh, they become sons and daughters of Yahweh. The first Passover, the blood of the Lamb was sprinkled on the doorposts of everyone of the people of God in Egypt. The last Passover, the cross, the blood of the Lamb can be sprinkled on the hearts of every believer who comes to the Lord Jesus Christ, every repentant sinner. In the first Passover, the angel of death passed by. That's what's called Passover. He saw the blood on the doorpost, and he passed over that house, and he went to the other houses. He passed over when he saw the sprinkled blood. In the last Passover, the cross of Christ, the angel of death will pass over. He cannot touch those who have washed their lives in the blood of Jesus, the Lamb of God. In the first Passover, God's people had to offer sacrifices, whether they could afford it or not. Some of them couldn't even afford it, but they went into sacrifice. That's why it's called sacrifice. But in the last Passover, the cross of Christ, Jesus offered Himself to be the sacrifice which paid the price by His own blood. The first Passover, only the firstborn of the people of God were saved. Oh, but listen, I'm getting ready to shout. In the last Passover, the cross of Christ, everyone who comes to Him in repentance and faith would receive eternal life. Jesus said, I have earnestly, eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer, before I suffer. Why? Well, he tells us why. Thank God I don't have to come up with the answer. (laughs) For I tell you that I shall not eat it again until it is fulfilled, until it is completed, until it ended in the kingdom of God. When you and I sometimes get sick, if it doesn't have to be serious sickness, who do we think of? Me. And the degree of my pain, or how I feel, how do I feel today, how I feel tomorrow. But not Jesus. 
He's about to go to the bloody cross. He's about to experience the most indescribable, and it is indescribable because we will never comprehend it until we get to heaven, spiritual pain of being separated from the Father as all of the sin, your sin, my sin, laid on His sinless body to say nothing of that incomprehensible physical pain. And yet all he can think about was their morale, their feelings, their fears, their discouragement, their confusion, and their anxiety. And that is why he said, I have been anxious. I've been longing to eat this last Passover with you before I suffer. The second reason our Lord Jesus Christ was eager to eat this last Passover with the disciple was to establish this memorial, the table of the Lord, communion, Lord's Supper, for time and eternal. Passover ended with the Lord's Supper began. Now, most of you know how for 2,000 years some churches have silly kind of—I consider it to be silly, but, but they've confused the Lord's Supper. They confused communion or whatever they call it, and some have treated it superstitiously. I've seen that with my own eyes, a kind of mystical thing. There are others who see it as a priest having the power to literally turn the bread and the wine into the flesh and the blood of the Lord Jesus, the one who's in heaven sitting on the throne right now, reigning and ruling, not on the table. But they relegated the power to the priest. Jesus, who is glorified in heaven, is not in the stable. This is a symbol of His blood and body that was torn for us. The Apostle Paul said, we know Him after the flesh no more. Others see communion, especially among evangelicals. I heard this with my ears. Some evangelicals said, well, it gets in the way. It gets in the way of their preaching. It gets in the way of their church program. Others still practice it in a private sitting. It's not supposed to be. This is the table of the Lord for the body of Christ. The list goes on and on and on. And yet, our precious Lord's purpose in instituting the Last Supper, the last Passover, and the first communion is to make the cross eternal. Eternal. It's done. It's finished. And that is why communion always points beyond itself. It points to the cross. Communion points to the cross away from itself. The cross. The cross. Can you say it with me? Communion was established by our Lord to remind us of the enormity of our sin and the colossal generosity of His grace. Why? To remind us the priceless, priceless blood of Jesus who paid for the forgiveness of our sins, to remind us to be humble and broken before God, not proud and arrogant, to remind us to be grateful and thankful for our selfish. The power of communion is the power of the cross that redeemed us. So many people 
get so hung up on the methodology and the, the details of communion, and you do it this way, you do it that way. And I remember one time I was talking to a group of pastors, I said, you know, in our church, we don't do it the biblical way. Huh? You admitting that? Yeah. Because they, they had a full-blown meal. That's not the issue. See, they get hung up on the superfluous. The important is the manner by which we approach the Lord's table. Are you with me? When we understand that this table points to the cross, our hearts will skip a beat or two when we approach the Lord's table. Your mind will be flooded with the overwhelming gratitude and thanksgiving for what this table represents. I'm absolutely convinced in my own mind that disciples have never, never for the rest of their lives celebrated the Lord's table or communion without these words ringing in their ears. I have eagerly desired to have this last Passover with you before I suffer, for I shall not eat it again until it's found its fulfillment and completeness in the kingdom of God. Those words must have rung in their ears every time they celebrated communion. A number of decades ago, I read a story told by Dr. Roger Rose, and it helps illustrate what I'm trying to say. He said that uh, as a young boy, he grew up on a farm alongside a dirt road. He said uh, there was only on occasions, and rare occasions, an automobile will pass that dirt road. One day, Roger's younger brother was crossing that dirt road, and sure enough, was on his brand-new bicycle, and a car came roaring down the hill, struck his brother, and killed him. He goes on to explain how when his father picked up that mangled and twisted bike, he heard his father sob aloud for the first time in his life. And then he continues. He said, my father carried that mangled bike and placed it in the barn in a place that seldom anybody goes to. He said, father's terrible sorrow eased with the passing of time, but for the rest of his life, whenever he saw that bike, tears would stream down his cheeks. Here's what Dr. Rose's comment that just touched me deeply. He said, since that experience, I've prayed regularly. He said, Lord, keep the memory of your substitutionary death on the cross to be as fresh as that to me. Beloved, Jesus said, I will not participate in this Passover meal again until it finds fulfillment, completeness in the kingdom of God. And we all know how 44 days later, he was ascended into heaven, and the disciples watched with amazement as he ascended back to the Father. And he told us that there in heaven, even now, our Lord Jesus Christ is preparing a table for us in which we will join. Every believer will be able to participate in that table. And he's preparing that table even now. Sooner or later, every believer is going to be participating in that table. Meanwhile, until that day come, 
Jesus wanted all of us, who His followers through the ages, that when we participate at this table here on earth, we lift up our eyes and look forward to the marriage supper of the Lamb. We look forward to the day when we celebrate with our Lord Jesus and at His table in heaven. Every time we participate in the Lord's table, it should be a reminder of our eternal home and that we order every part of our lives based on that eternal home. Let me tell you this as I conclude. During the time of Jesus' earthly ministry, around that first century time, even before that, it was a common legal practice that whenever a person's debt is paid or settled, either somebody paid it or the debtor forgave it. Either way, it doesn't matter. But whenever that debt is paid, one way or the other, whenever that debt is forgiven, the creditor would come to the man who owed the money in the past, and he will take a nail and nail the canceled note on the door and nails it. The debt has been canceled. The debt has been paid. The reason is obvious, that any passersby could see that this man's debt, which would be known the whole town, has already been paid. And my beloved friends, please listen to me. That's what the cross is all about. It is a constant reminder that the debt, your debt, my debt, have been paid in full. If this is a picture that the Apostle Paul has in mind when he focuses on the cross as he was writing to the Colossians, and he writes to the Colossian believers saying that on the cross, Christ took the debt of every repentant sinner and nailed it to the cross, having disarmed the principalities and the powers and made us public spectacles of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Now, I don't mind telling you I'm getting ready to shout because I know what I'm going to say. What that means to me and what ought to mean to every believer in Jesus Christ is that when past sins and guilt and shame that hampered us have been paid in full of which you've repented, and those sins try to come back into your mind, what you do? You yell back and say, Jesus nailed it all to the cross. Can you say it with me? Jesus nailed it all to the cross. When Satan, the accuser of the believers, tried to accuse you of past sins of which you have repented, you yell at him and you say what? Jesus nailed it all to the cross. And when your conscience condemn you, John said sometimes, even if our conscience condemn us, God is greater than our conscience. And when your conscience condemns you about the past sins of which you have repented, you yell what? Jesus nailed it all to the cross. When doubt creeps in and you begin to doubt your salvation, you yell and say what? Jesus nailed it all to the cross. When others falsely accuse you and trying to guilt you for your biblical stand, you yell and say what? Jesus nailed it all to the cross. And when you face failures and you're tempted to think of yourself as a failure, 
You yell what? Jesus nailed it all to the cross. When you fall into sin, and Satan wants you to stay in that sin, you get up, you confess, and you repent, and then you do what? Say to him, Jesus nailed it all to the cross. The last thing I want to tell you about this power of the cross is this. Jesus said seven things from the cross. I have a series of sermons on that, all the seven, each word of them, seven sermons. You can download them from Leading the Way. One of those words, it is finished. It is finished. Can you say that? Now, that word is very important to understand that is in the perfect tense. It's in the perfect tense. Now, you're going to see a guy who flunked grammar gets excited about the perfect tense. (laughs) I hope you do too. I hope you do too. Because it means that it has been and forever finished. No one can add or subtract from it. It means that Jesus, when deliberately, freely endured the judgment of the cross in our place, that tells us that it is all accomplished. And when he said that word, the Bible said that the curtain in the temple, the curtain which is a symbol of separating us, a sin that separated us from God, was torn from top to bottom. The door is now open to whomsoever would come and ask his forgiveness. Because on the cross, and on the cross alone, listen to me, on the cross, and on the cross alone, there is power to the powerless, there is strength to the weak, there is salvation to the repentant, there is hope to the hopeless, and there is peace for the troubled heart. Thank you for listening to this message from Dr. Michael Youssef, Bible teacher on Leading the Way. Learn more about the global ministry of Dr. Youssef and Leading the Way by visiting ltw.org. That's ltw.org.